0: I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb,
1: and you're in the Trans Corner Room. This week, the first interview with Bryn Tannehill, author, advocate, and amazing Navy veteran, talking about her new book, coming up in just a few minutes. But Carly, the man I didn't ever want to have to hear again spoke this week, and
0: I am just so over it, and his transphobia. I know, DOLT-45, works every time, doesn't it? (laughs) You know, I just thought he had basically banned
1: the trans military. He had done everything he could to possibly harm trans Americans. And here he comes back from the political grave, unlike every other previous president, speaking out, promising to be back in politics, and destroying our ambitions of equality.
0: you think he's going to be successful? Do you think people will listen to him? Right now I give it a 50-50 chance. I say 50-50 because on one hand it looks like the Republican Party has truly become has truly has truly fallen all in for Trumpism. They've gone all in for it. They have they've pretty much bought into the rhetoric of a Donald Trump and saying we're this is a hill we're willing to die on so it'll be interesting to see what happens in these next four in these next two years with the midterms it all it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next four now that assuming of course that Donald Trump can avoid going to jail and that in itself is the other part of that 50 50 because I'm reading the number of in the number of of suits and cases that are on Donald Trump's plate right now, and it's an impressive amount. One, of, I mean, you figure that at least one of those is going to strike Pater to the point that would take him, that would relegate him in 2024. But you, there's only one way you can find out. You know, Satchel Page said, "You pays your money, you takes your chance," and that's what we're going to see. But oh, the but as far as CPAC as a whole, because I'll admit I watched it. I mean. That's that was my form of BDSM for the weekend. Was watching that, and I can tell you, they are all in on a strategy to turn transgender people into the boogeyman. That's that's what they are all. You can tell they've pushed their chips to the center of the table and say, "This is this is the wedge issue that we've got." You know, every four years, the re, every election cycle, the Republicans have a wedge issue. It was gay people before. It was nasty women before. Way, way back in the day, it was Black folks in law and order before, and now it's just, it's our turn to be that symbol of everything you, everything that's un-American. It's it's our turn. I want people who are on the
1: fence in this issue, this so-called debate, to realize who's on your side. You've got Donald Trump, Marjorie Taylor Wacko, Rand Paul, TERFs and anti-equality, conservatives, religious fundamentalists, and people who are virulently anti-LGBTQ. That's who's on that side. Is that who women who want to compete fairly really want to align themselves with? Apparently so. And all I can tell them is this. There's never been an olympic qualifier who's trans never mind olympic competitor there's never been a trans athlete who's dominant and on top of everything else there's no science to prove that trans women make cisgender women inferior if anything it's misogyny to say that cisgender women can't compete with trans athletes because they often beat trans athletes trans athletes don't win every single
0: time and also take trans out of the equation for a second these are the people who are claiming to defend women's sports we're going to defend title nine these same people have been trying to kill it since inception these are the same people who claim that they want to defend women's athletics by lifting their leg on women's athletes and their accomplishments at every turn look at I mean, look at those ridiculous sites like Fonda Beatles, Voice Versus Women, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and how they basically, how, how can you defend women's athletics by essentially debasing them, demeaning them, and, and ridiculing the accomplishments at the same time? And also, I do want to send a quick note to Illinois Representative Marie Newman. Good on you. and I, And I trust you have an iron constitution and because you have to you have a you have an office that's right across the hall from Marjorie Taylor Green's office. Good on you for what you did. Good on you for standing up and supporting your child in the way that you in the way that you have in the past and you are now. And I also want to send Marjorie Taylor Green a little warning. Marjorie, you did something that you really don't want to do. You are poking a mama bear. All I can say is You better give your heart to Jesus. Your butt may belong to Marty Newman if you push her a little too far. Just saying.
1: (laughs) So what's the other big news of the week? You're working on a story as we record this that I'm hoping our readers will see about Bobby Jones. The latest update. What's going on,
0: Carly? Bobby Jones, uh, for those who may not know the the quick story, 14-year-old transgender boy lives in Kirkwood, Washington. Um, Six months ago, after he came out, he says, "You know what? I want to I want to be who I am. I want to play soccer. Who I am. He's a goalkeeper for a local club team in the area. And the league tried to block him from playing as his authentic self. So he basically fought the league and won and forced them to change po- and forced them to change their policies. And along the way, a lot of things in his own process and his own journey came into line and just this pa- and just this past Saturday a long last he made his long way to debut for his team in a game that counted and he had he had something like five saves gave up a couple goals but overall played a his mom said he played a great game bobby said he would give him 6 out of 10 for this first effort but his team won 4 to 2 and for him it was his first game playing as the boy he is for his team in a game that counts and This kid's been on such a journey. We wrote about that in January, not only about the battle to play, but also just his entire journey from the coming out last summer all the way through and all the things he's been through and how he's felt about it. And he's a Gender Cool Project ambassador as well now. In fact, the video he did for the Gender Cool Project just dropped on the same day of his first game. And it so, was his birthday. And it know, was right? his 14th birthday. Oh, how exciting! So related, Bobby, and congratulations on that. Uh, we got a story on Outsports on that, and I also want people to—I want really want people to read that story and some of the other stories we did because that's that's another part of what we're talking about here. People talk about, for example, in this case, it's women and girls versus the trans athletes or those transgender. It's so it's dehumanizing and people need to see behind the debate are real people with real lives. There's beating hearts and souls and dreams. And that's the one thing that, if nothing else, doing that story should remind all of us is that what we're really talking about here is people. Speaking of people,
1: I would like to set coordinates for the Washington, D.C. area. Carly, please beam
0: up author, veteran. Advocate,
1: Brynn Tannahill.
0: Energizing. Someone prepared to pipe her on the bridge. <laughs> she should have a spot right there on the bridge. Maybe in the captain's chair. What do you say? Uh, all I can say is this: There's something I said on Twitter when I was quoting something that this woman said. You don't tug on Supergirl's cape. You don't spit in the wind. You don't tug the lasso off Wonder Woman, and you don't mess around with Bryn. Brynn Tannahill. Welcome to the transporter room.
2: Sorry, I needed the bosun's whistle to come on board. (laughs)
1: That's very cute. Thank Uh, you. You know, I have to say that of all the Jim Croce songs, that's one of my favorites. And I love how you rewrote it to welcome Brynn. That's awesome. Brynn Tannehill has been in Outsports before. She wrote in 2015 about the NFL, about moving the Super Bowl out of Houston, which was in the middle of all this transphobic nonsense. She wrote about Fallon Fox and the legacy of Satchel Page a year earlier. And Bryn, here we are, five, six years later, and you know you're on an Outsports podcast. So glad to Thank have you. Me.
2: Good to be here, too. I also write occasionally for Bright Side of the Sun at uh, uh, Sports Nation. So um, that's the uh, Phoenix Suns uh, team. Uh, yeah, the Phoenix Suns site, yeah. When you yeah. can get
1: into their and you get into their content management system, I I have to I have to also plug two things. If you're not familiar with Bryn, you should take a time to go on Amazon.com and pick up everything you ever wanted to know about trans parentheses, but were afraid to ask. I'm a proud owner. I love this book. It lays out everything. It's I'll, it's like 101 for trans, and Bryn answers it all. But Hold on to your hats and your reading glasses. Bryn's got a new book, American Fascism, How the GOP is Subverting Democracy. Bryn, tell all our readers about it and why you wrote it.
2: So in 2016, when Trump won the election, we all knew this was gonna be bad and we recognized this was bad, right? But I don't think most people recognize why it was so bad or how could we have elected someone so patently unfit for office? And I started a project to try and describe holistically, uh, meaning everything, uh, where this came from, why this happened, what it means, um, and look at what implications this has for our future. Um, and the answers I got as I went along were more and more and more disturbing. Um, it ha- where this comes from and is essentially uh, has its roots in American racism and religion and the relationship between religion and racism. And it quotes Frederick Douglass uh, on on how he saw it and looking at that through the civil rights movement. And then it looks at media and how that's played into creating uh, a system where things are falling down. It looks at how um, wealth inequality uh, contributes to the democratic decline It looks at uh, all the ways that the GOP is trying to subvert democracy through voter suppression and gerrymandering and through um, rigging the courts, through uh, making sure that only the uh, Republican administrations can put justices on the court. It looks at historical analogies um, that are current Uh, since the end of the Cold War. We've seen a new type of autocratic regime arise called the competitive autocracy. Where only one party can win, but there's still elections and they still kind of feel like real elections, but they really don't matter because you know which party's going to win regardless and we're seeing that. Not just in places like Hungary and Poland and Russia and Turkey, but places like Wisconsin and North Carolina where voter suppression and. Uh, gerrymandering ensure that Republicans always end up winning, regardless of how people actually vote. Um, And then it takes the next look at what is fascism and and does the Trumpist movement constitute a fascist movement. Uh, And it looks at how numerous different scholars have approached what the characteristics of fascism are. Finally, it asks the questions, what does this mean for the United States and where we're going? And even though I wrote the conclusion of the book months ago, I have the distinct sense that it's going to be relevant in 2024 and even 2028.
0: If I kind of understand that right, you started, in a sense, you started with the end and said, okay, here's the, here's where we're at. Here's where we may be. And here's how we've ended
2: up getting there more or less. So I look at it kind of like an aviation mishap report, right, where if you've ever seen one of those, they do, the first thing they do is they do a chronology and say, okay, here's the history of everything relevant that led up to the moment where you know the aircraft spun in and impacted the ground at 500 knots and made a crater and no one lived right um and they tr- they start with the very beginning of everything that's relevant up to the basically the moment of impact and that's what the book does in the first three chapters is it looks at the history of how we got here and then after that just like an aircraft mishap report it looks at all the contributing factors right And that can be everything from maintenance practices to training to what the pilots had for breakfast, right? Um, And in this case, my book looks at factors like the media, like wealth inequality, like the American system of government. Uh, It looks at um, religion. It looks at culture and psychology. So it looks at all the different contributing factors that over the past four years I've identified as things that experts agree have helped us bring us to this moment. What sets this book apart is that other experts that look at these things look at only one narrow aspect of it generally they look at the economic aspect or they look at the political aspect or they look at the media aspect or they look at the econometric aspect this one tries to bring all of these different expert theories together to paint a cohesive picture of what happened how we got here and what this means for where we're going
1: so when i read the book and i am very lucky to have seen a sneak peek. I compared it to all the warnings we're getting about climate change, that you're basically trying to get people to make changes now so that we avoid cataclysm. And what really impressed me was it wasn't transcentric, which, you know, is a tendency for us. We write about what we know, right? And Rin you're not doom and gloom. (laughs) You actually have hope. (laughs) I know you've been unfairly tagged with always being the doom and gloom person, but let's face it, a lot of times you say things
2: that seem like the end of the world, and we're still here. We are still here, but I think anybody who looks around can recognize that American democracy is not in good shape. Um, We have systemic challenges. We have challenges in terms of demographics, in terms of uh, our constitutional system of government favors our um, a a rural minority party. Um, it d- doesn't have some of the checks, the checks and balances that we counted on are failing. Um, and there are things we can do. Uh, some of the things that I point out that I think are crucial are passing the Voting Rights Act, renewing the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, the For the People Act. Um, which would basically uh, reduce the effects of money in politics and uh, make it much more difficult to gerrymander your way to majorities. Um, It would also increase access to voting and uh, reduce the ability of politicians to suppress voting rights. Um, I also believe that uh, one of the other things that we can do is that people who've committed crimes in previous administrations uh, should uh, should be prosecuted uh, to create kind of a um, deterrence towards current politicians thinking, well, I can commit all the crimes I want. The president's just going to pardon me and everything's good. Reducing the incentives to commit crime while in office or while your party's in office. These are the kinds of laws that we can pass or things that we can do to try and ensure that we don't have another autocratic attempt or that another autocratic attempt fails, um, that we don't end up with a permanent, a permanent minoritarian government. Bad news is, is it looks right now uh, as if uh, a number of Democrats in the Senate are unwilling to uh, eliminate the filibuster for civil rights legislation, which means that I think our hopes are getting dimmer by the day of us doing the bare minimum necessary to try and head off uh, competitive autocracy. Right now, it doesn't look like we have a path for the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, and it doesn't look like we have a path for the For the People Act, which are both gonna require the end of the filibuster in order to pass.
0: Bryn, you are trans, you're a veteran, you you served your country and by all accounts you love your country. I I'm reminded of the column you wrote in the New York Times about after the Supreme Court decision came down and and the anger, the hurt and the anger that was in the words I saw on the page. For you for you being trans in this country and seeing this, what is it like? What does it feel like for you personally to realize that the Republican Party is using you and me and Don and us as the target to show here's the enemies of the state.
2: So the, my book, and I'm gonna give, give away a little bit here, concludes with a quote from one of the most difficult movies ever made to watch. But it quotes Morgan Freeman as William Somerset in the movie Seven. And to paraphrase, um, Ernest Hemingway once wrote, the world's a mighty fine place and well worth saving. I agree with the latter part. (laughs) And that's how I feel about the US on a lot of days, is that there is racism and there are, there we are rapidly falling into, competitive autocracy and that we have politicians who aren't willing to, even the good ones, or supposedly good ones, aren't willing to do the things necessary to protect our democracy and protect the people who voted for them. Uh, We are watching the disenfranchisement of millions of uh, African Americans across the U.S. as Republican politicians respond to the results of the 2020 election by increasing voter suppression. And there's something here to save. But right now we are failing at doing the things that we need to do in order to be the society that we would like to think we are. And that distresses me. And as I look at what's going on with the Republican Party taking trans people as the wedge issue, as the group of people, along with immigrants, that they blame for everything that's bad in the universe, right? Um, and I talk about this a little bit in the section on the characteristics of fascism, but needing a boogeyman, needing a group enemies that are both simultaneously p- pathetic and weak in their minds, and yet strong enough to destroy everything, these are central aspects of fascism which when you start talking about creating a permanent minoritarian government, whose characteristics are essentially fascist and people are either number one or number two on their list of threats to what they consider all that is good and decent and godly. This sets us up for civil rights horrors. This is why being trans is relevant to my book because trans people are going to be the uh, collateral damage of our descent into illiberal democracy. And that should scare anyone because when you look at what the end state goal for uh, conservatives, for the people at CPAC, is, is if they could have a society with no trans people in it, they would have it. And that is central to what we're seeing in places like Hungary, uh, where you can no longer have recognition of transgender identities. Um, once we cease to exist as a identifiable group, then it becomes a lot easier to do things to us. Right. And we look at that and we see, uh, withholding medical care, banning from the military, banning from sports, banning from access to medical care, like I said, banning from public facilities and if you look at what previous oppression has looked like in the United States. That's what it looks like because and that also what it looked like in Germany in the 30s because uh, Germany actually looked at what America did to black people during segregation and Jim Crow and said yes, that's our model for what we want to do to marginalize and oppress and encourage uh, Jews and Roma to leave Germany during the 30s. So these are all things that make my spidey sense tingle to use <laughs> Well, you are full
1: of topical references. One of the things I want so, to promise people who read American fascism is you'll love all the pop culture references that, uh, that Brynn sprinkles throughout, because I did. I, I want to ask you a personal thing though about what you just said about that wedge issue as a woman as a mom as a veteran what does this stuff mean to you how does it affect you personally i recognize as an intellectual and i'm talking about you not me (laughs) that you have a very very uh deep understanding of what goes on but in your
2: heart how does this hit you so this has always been one of the things that uh, people have said to me when I'm talking about things: is that I'm very analytical, I'm very uh, academic in the way I approach things. That uh, everybody wants to know how it affects me personally, um, and I would say that rather than therapy uh, during the first two years of the Trump administration, uh, my therapy was lit review. Um, <laughs> oh, how to, Brent, how Brent it is trying to wrap my head around what is happening. If I can intellectually capture what I'm seeing, but in terms of emotionally, there is uh, horror and dismay um, at what is happening. There is, was, fear. Um, But when you talk about the, the steps in the grieving process, uh i've kind of come to the acceptance phase of it which is look if if everything goes south um my wife's canadian my kids are canadian and we will we will pick up pull up stakes and depart if we see some sort of um autocratic regime that has decided that it's going to oppress trans people and i take some Comfort in the historical analogy that in the first two three years of well, about first two years of um, Nazi Germany, um, their goal was simply to get people to leave, get the Roma to go somewhere else. Um, the first mass migration of uh, Jews to the Palestinian region or the Palestine region came in thirty three and thirty four, and Germany was happy to see them go. Um, or the Nazis were happy to see them go. And that's my knowledge that if things go south for us, that conservatives are not going to be sad about seeing the door hit me on the way out. Um, so that's how I've dealt with this emotionally, is working through the grief, working through the anger, working through the denial, to get to a point of acceptance of, well, if all of this happens this is what i can do there's nothing else i can do about it other than tell people exactly what's coming if we don't take the appropriate steps to prevent it um and that i have done everything that i can as an individual to prevent the really really particularly nasty outcomes that we get if we do fall into competitive autocracy
0: switching gears to um a different part of this issue i mean for myself not only do i co-host this thing with don in my in my free time i'm also a competitive athlete what are your what Bren, what are your thoughts on the whole trans athlete debate
2: so this is probably the most overblown thing since the trans bathroom debate right and air quotes around debate So as Dawn pointed out, trans athletes operating at an extremely high level is extremely rare. Um, I can name, we've got one weightlifter in New Zealand. We've got one age bracketed transgender cyclist. We have maybe one or two Olympians out of 5,000 going into the 21, um, out of 5,000 women athletes. In division one, uh, there's really only one significant trans athlete this year, and he's a trans man swimmer at Harvard. There aren't any trans women operating at a high level in division one or division two in the past two years, uh, since CeCe Telfer. In the past two years, we haven't had any significant, I mean, really, you know, high level, you know, state level competition. Trans athletes in, um, in high school Uh, The little kids really don't matter, you know, in the past decade, we've had, as far as high school trans athletes go, we've had the two sprinters in Connecticut, but they both graduated two years ago. We have Mac Beggs in Texas, you know, out of, uh, and he's a trans man and he was forced to compete in the girls division. If he'd just been allowed to compete with the boys, it wouldn't have been an issue. So this, looking at what we have here, we have precisely two trans athletes in the past decade who were top level in, in US athletics. And they were at the state level in high school in Connecticut. Um, we haven't had any in the past two years. And then the arguments that trans athletes are taking away opportunities from cisgender athletes (laughs) okay so we've got millions and millions and millions of high school athletes right and we can identify maybe two in the past um three years out of all these millions that were trans and then let's talk about opportunity right so to have a case typically in court, you have to be able to show that you suffered some tangible harm. Well, the two trans athletes in Connecticut, um, neither of them got scholarships. However, the three uh, girls suing them and suing the state of Connecticut, um, two of them have athletic scholarships and the third is a senior this year and is so good that she's definitely going to get scholarships. So what we're looking at is the trans girls won some races, but received no monetary compensation for it. Um, The girls that uh, are suing didn't lose all the races to them, um, but haven't suffered in any meaningful way in terms of academic opportunities as a result of their athletics. So this problem is, this issue is extremely, extremely rare from a numerical standpoint, right? Um, that trans athletes are far less common than you would expect based off of their uh, what percent of the population they constitute. Um, and we can actually can't find any instances of a trans person taking away academic scholarship opportunities from a cisgender person ever, right? So, what this is to say is that this is basically a made up freaking issue, right? um meant to get people angry enough that bad things happen and they can start passing laws to start taking trans people out of what i've termed public life um and that means from bathrooms that means from sports that means from you know getting medical care this is all part of a bigger plan to make life for trans people as difficult as possible and this is the Point where they think they can make the most impact, having failed at bathrooms.
1: And of course, making us the boogeymen and women, because this is what riles up the base. This is what they need. They need somebody to hate to be able to achieve their goals.
0: Brandon, in your mind, because hearing that, I'm hearing the same things I've been saying for quite some time on the issue, is that this is part of something a lot bigger. This is, sports is really a minor part why do you feel that the average person who may have, who if you sold them discrimination straight up they would not take that they would not take that guilt they would not take discrimination straight up if you offered it to them why do you feel that people think that all this you've just laid out is just another QAnon conspiracy type thing why can't why do you feel people can't believe what's right in front of their face and it's happening in real time
2: so First of all, the American public as a whole uh, doesn't really understand the gravity of the situation. Um, that whenever you say, this is actually pretty close to what the characterizes fascism, right? Oh, no, 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 it can't be that. Not, it couldn't happen here, right? Which was the subject of a actual book in the 30s, uh, Sinclair Lewis's book they titled that on how people didn't think fascism could come to america back in the 30s um but the other thing is is people think they understand the situation they they do understand that um that uh, yeah that uh, male athletes do have some sort of advantage but what they don't seem to understand is the medicine Behind uh, trans athletes and how that affects them, and how that's why we haven't really seen anybody of of note at the NCAA level who's trans. Um, that everything is meant to be a soundbite. It's meant to get you angry, and it's not meant to give you for you to think about this logically, rationally, or to look at evidence or history or anything. It's meant to get people angry and to get them on a particular side and get them there quickly. Um, And with the stovepiped media influences that we have today, right, your Fox News and OAN and Newsmax uh, watchers typically stay in a very narrow lane of media. They're never going to hear any of the things that I just told you about the IOC or the NCAA or how rare trans athletes are at the high school level, or the fact that there is no monetary gain, or that they are simply um, dislike trans people enough. So the people that might might be influenced um, never really have access to the kinds of information that m- presents a different case uh, or presents a, a different presents reality. Um, the other part of it, though, is, is that people don't see or have the time to read the internal documents to what the religious right puts out. They don't have, uh, they don't bother reading uh, Project Blitz's plan for what to do with trans Americans, which is to treat us as a public health hazard um, and use the full force of government to discourage people from being trans under the legal guise of promoting public health discouraging people from being trans that's like basically saying well you should
1: stop being blue eyed or from now on you'll have to use hannah's example you'll have to use your left hand instead of your right hand hannah simpson a great writer who gave the world this wonderful gift of explaining gender dysphoria by saying if you only had to write with the wrong hand all your life and then you finally discovered oh
2: this is the one i should be writing with that's what being trans is like so the way I, just dis- it reminds me of a scene from X-Men 3 where, <laughs> they, where they find out, where the rich people find out their kid's a mutant and the mom asks, haven't you tried being not a mutant? Well, <laughs> um, could oh. you just try not being a mutant? We're to have to take a little break and pay some bills.
1: When we come <laughs> back, Bryn Tannehill is going to share some things that you don't know about Bryn Tannehill. And if she doesn't, I will. You're in
0: the Transporter Room. And we're back here at the Transporter Room. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb along with Don Innes. And our guest today, noted author, academic, analyst, and I will dare say activist, Bryn Tannehill is with us. Bryn, looking over your bio, uh, sword fighting. I have like four close friends who are also in the sword fighting. What is it with trans people in sword fighting?
1: <laughs> They're trying hey, to get me into it. Hey, maybe we should tell the <laughs> turfs that we have swords. Maybe they'll back
0: off. now if I ever fight with a sword no, I don't want a sword, get me a bat lift. Let's just go, uh, let's just go full, cl- <laughs> full metal Klingon on this.
1: I don't have a bat lift for the same reason. I don't have a gun. I'd end up hurting myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but Bren talk about sword fighting. I know, I know it's been coronavirus permitting as of late, but what got you into it? And in a sense, okay, sword fighting is a hobby. Walk me through it.
2: So um, I do this through the Society for Creative Anachronisms, um, and it's a medievalist group, and my significant other got me involved in it.
0: By the way, I'm a member full disclosure. Oh, you I'm a member. Really? Yep. Awesome. I, have been, I have been a member for about, oh, 20 plus years. I had friends back in my hometown who got me into it. And next thing you know, here I am doing all sorts of medieval stuff with them. It was great. But I digress. What got you
2: into this? So the fact that it was um, a co-ed sport and as a trans person, you always feel guilty about being, um, you know, being trans Are you worried that, oh, you know, somebody's going to do bad things because you're trans. Well, this is a sport where it's completely co-ed, uh, and that makes it harder for women. But there are some very, very good women fighters, um, and it was just it it was an outlet for um, for for my imagination uh, to have some kind of kind of the camaraderie that you could find within a squadron uh, among the fighters. Um, that there was definitely technique, uh, and some, if you're going to do it as a smaller person as I am, I'm only five, four, uh, you have to be quick. You have to, you can't just power your way through it. Um, there's definitely a flow and footwork. They, they call it the dance. Um, and I can't claim to be particularly good at it, but, um, it's kind of the challenge of improving yourself. Um, and uh just finding a way to get better um they're coming out with a uh so some of the you know there there's different variations of it there's rapier there's uh using sticks there's the there's using uh, blunted uh metal long swords um lately before coronavirus hit i was doing more of the long sword work um and then there's a lot of the historical aspects of of it like uh doing the research via the i-9 document Hmm. on historical longsword fighting and how they thought about it.
1: Although when you said stick, I immediately went to Monty Python and
2: pointed stick.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So listeners, readers, I must tell you, I have known Bryn Tannehill since before I was Dawn Ennis and before she chose the name Bryn. I have turned to Bryn in my darkest days and she has turned to me more times than I can count for advice or guidance or just to talk but what really mattered to me was when I came out I lost my marriage my career and I thought that the world was going to end and a few weeks after I came out the media onslaught became too much. I suffered a mental health crisis. And a lot of people took me to be a pariah because I detransitioned, I lost my way. And even then, much to her own risk, Bryn Tannehill stood by me. This is a person who does not give up on friends. And I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you Bryn, because your support and um, the way you lead your very independent, personal, and yet public life has inspired me and I can imagine countless others. so Me included. So let me just say thank you both personally, professionally, and on behalf of trans women who look to you and say, my God, if
2: that woman can do it,
1: I can do this too.
2: Thank you, Don. You know, when you're having your moment of of doubt and pain, to uh, use a Rolling Stones song as kind of a touchstone, um, I remembered that there were my own moments where I had doubts and fears about transitioning and about what it meant and where it was going to go, and that there were times when I needed to pause what I was doing and step back and think and cons and, and let my doubts get ahead of me. Um, and I recognized that that was something that might be happening for you and that we all have our own paths, that there's no one right way to do it, that it's not a race that we all have to figure it out for ourselves. And that Giving you the time and space to figure out what you needed for yourself, and that if this was if that moment where you said, No, I can't do it for whatever reason, that was your moment, that was your personal journey, and that regardless, I should support you in that moment because that's what you needed at that time, and that's what I hope other people can do for their trans friends, even as they're going through some really, really difficult times.
1: I wanna follow up because uh, one of the books that's apparently popular and new now is called Detransition Baby. And uh, a friend of ours, a mutual friend, Jennifer Finney Boylan told me, and she posted about this on social media, so I feel I can say this. She could only read 50 pages of it. It was just too hard for her. She felt that it was harmful and hurtful. And detransition does happen Our opponents make it into this big thing. Rand Paul just recently talked about it. And I'd like to just take a moment to have you explain to people. I mean, I can tell my own story, but I'd rather have someone who is outside of it. Explain to people how rare it is for detransition and what it really means about someone who attempts transition.
2: So, first of all, we'll talk about transition... Detransition transition and regret, right? And when we look at regret rates, we typically see um, significant regrets in the one to 2% range. And this is only for surgical regrets, right? Um, and most of the time when you look at the causes for that, the regrets are uh, center around uh, per- poor surgical outcomes, not because people uh, decide that they're not trans. Uh, when you look at uh, regrets in general, very, very few transgender people have any significant regrets, less than 4%. And most of the regrets there um, come from uh, stigma and familial rejection. Uh, When we look at detransition, the actual act of permanently detransitioning, we have some data from England's National Health Service that did a review of over 3,000 transgender Patients, right? And they found that, and they did this by looking up the, the word transgender, transition, or things within their records and determining which ones were. And this is a, a patient record review. And they found that out of 3,098 reviewed records, only three detransitioned because they decided that they were not transgender. A grand total of 16 had detransitioned, but the other 13 had detransitioned because of other reasons, such as stigma, rejection, um, beatings, losing their job, poverty, uh, things like that, that had nothing to do with um, deci- their gender their identity. identity. Yeah, there, It was external factors that led them to decide that detransitioning uh, was the best path for them. Um, and that's one of the things that Republicans want to do is they want to create a society that forces people to either never transition or to detransition by making life as difficult as possible for them. But it's worth pointing out that even if somebody does detransition, right, there are mental health services available that therapists who work with transgender people will also help you figure out if detransition is what you need to do for your mental health for whatever reason, whether it's what your gender identity is, or if the stigma and pain it's causing you is just too much. And that this is the healthiest thing for you to do, even though it's still not a healthy situation, being a transgender person who is still living um, against who you really are. (laughs) But so it's incredibly rare. And when people do detransition, there are mental health services available to them to help them figure out what the best path for them is. That this is not something that the industry says, oh, you're transitioned and you can never come back. No.
1: Right. You close the door and lock it, no.
2: There, and it, therapists it, yeah. therapists reply, re, rely on repeat business. So, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it worked for me. And i just like to point to the most famous example. In the 1980s, I don't want to use the dead name, Caitlyn Jenner attempted transition, was on hormones, and freaked out and it didn't work out and detransition and look where she is now so i mean i don't really want you to look at Caitlyn jenner but
0: just saying that's the most famous example this is a discussion that i think that that we in the trans community need to be having we need we need to we need to stop saying the d we need to say the d word we need to say detransition. we need to discuss it we need to talk about it and Don, since you got a little personal, I'm going to take one minute. I'm going to take one minute and say and say also thank you, Bryn, for what you do, how you do it, the analysis you put into it. But also thank you for being there for a Don Ennis, because this is the ripple effect that I talk about often. That you were you were there for Don, and because you were there for Don, Don powered through, and in turn, uh. In turn, this person I have familiar some familiarity with in Connecticut who was looking at Dawn's story also found also found the courage and the wherewithal to power through and that person was me. And I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for if it wasn't for that. And and even with all the things that you that you write, and I will say, I'll admit, I'm one of the people that read uh, that read you, and at times I'm like, "Dang, Bryn, Bryn is describing Max Mad, Mad Max world again for us." But you look a year down the road, and you find out, "Oh my God, you!" And then you, it's like, "Dang it, you wit." Are there times when you sit around saying, "I wish I could be wrong." But it all comes to pass. Are there times when you look at it and you when you look at the situation, then you look back at something you wrote, do you say, God, I really want to be wrong on this one?
2: Uh well, every once in a while, um, I am wrong. Uh, I was wrong about uh, how much effect uh, gerrymandering would have when uh, calling out the results of the twenty eighteen wave election. Um. You know, and then there's times when I'm wrong in the wrong direction, where I underestimate uh, the capacity for human stupidity, and that such is the case from just a little over a year ago. I knew that we were going to really not do well handling the pandemic as a country, and I thought it was going to be primarily due to infrastructure, poor leadership, Um uh, lack of coordination um a bad healthcare system or healthcare system that uh charges way too much um i thought all of those were going to be problems what i totally did not get was just how far down the rabbit hole uh conservatives have gone that they're willing to basically you know lick a subway pole to prove you know to prove the liberals wrong that covid isn't really a thing and I just i didn't anticipate that people would continue to be this blind blinded uh by ideology even when you would have a pandemic going on that shows that yes this is airborne it's very contagious it's potentially deadly um it has long-term health effects this is something you really 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 do not want to get and half a million dead people later and it has changed absolutely nothing about their viewpoints and that was the part that i totally did not anticipate and unfortunately it was a lot of the reason for me jumping back on writing my book after having stopped and revised and kind of getting stuck on it right about last march and this provided the impetus to say we are way farther down the rabbit hole than i thought
0: i mean well, you did touch a little bit on how this on in the sense how this pandemic affected you. But one thing from my end when I'm when I'm not behind this mic sharing this space with Don, I'm also a staff operator for Trans Lifeline, and I can tell you the pandemic has hit our community really hard. Um what are some words of encouragement that you could give some of our people especially in our trans communities? who have felt a lot of isolation, a lot of services taken away. What what is a community? What do we need to can what do we need to continue to do to respond and be a bulwark for each other in this time because this crisis is not going away tomorrow or the next week or maybe even the next year.
2: So The good news is, is that I am actually fairly optimistic about the vaccine schedule. At this point, we have the Johnson and Johnson vaccine coming online, we're expecting to hit maybe 4 million vaccinations a day pretty soon. Um, That gets us everybody at least to the first vaccination within the next three months, hopefully anybody who you know, we're coming to a point by sometime around July 1st, we should have close to 80% of the population having at least one, if not two uh, vaccinations and having war game, some stuff out the best thing that the trans community can do when we can start forming groups and meeting each other again, is to support each other in person as it becomes possible to start forming pods um, to start building up community again and providing support because going without human contact for very, very long periods is not healthy. I've been extremely lucky to be here with my family. And I think Dawn has too. And I don't know about your situation, Carly, but. Um, yeah. I've got
0: roommates and I live in a big trans queer fortress. So I've awesome. had, I have people around, but I, but so, we get so many calls, Brent of people who literally have no one. We've gotten a ton of calls of my parent. I just came out to my parents. They kicked me out. Calls of people are saying, I'm homeless, I'm on the street, and the shelters are full, and they're not letting one in because of COVID. I'm home from college. My parents are unaccepting you. I've heard it all. I've heard it all in the last year, and there are nights after, there are days and nights after shifts where honestly, where honestly, I'm in my bed in a ball like I'm 11 years old again, just crying, because it's like, how much worse can it get, and where will it end?
1: Give everyone the uh, number for Trans Lifeline, and we'll add, add it to our social uh, this week, as we always should. Oh, absolutely, and for, our- and for
0: anyone who's listening, if you need that support, we're here for you. One eight seven seven five six five eight eight six zero. That the number again: one eight seven seven five six five eight eight six zero. We're here. We're here for you, and especially right now, because if there's one thing I've I've often said what, about trans people. Is that we're all we got, but we're all we need. And now, and Bryn, what you're saying is hitting the nail on the head beautifully. We have to, when, as if as things hopefully start opening up, we have to close ranks and really come together and just be there to reach out and touch each other on the shoulder. Shoulders, I've got you.
1: One of the ways that Bryn and I have um, kept in touch is our love of Jean Luc Picard. Hey, Bryn.
2: There are four lights. There are four lights, Bryn. <laughs> so I do actually quote Jean Luc Picard in the book um, because there are so many geeky pop culture references in it, and um, it says one can commit no errors and still lose. This is not, not this is not unfair. This is life, um, and this is kind of um, explaining some of my more fatalist moments in the book. But yes, there is, and I also. You did come across Darmok and Jalad at Yes. yes. (laughs) (laughs)
1: People are sharing on Twitter all of a sudden again. What's your favorite of the uh, Trek universe or just the sci-fi fantasy universe? What's your go-to? Like series or episode? Anything. Just anything in the universe that is fantasy, sci-fi, Star Trek, Battlestar, anything.
2: What's completely rewatchable? Um, I think uh, yesterday's Enterprise. um, Love that. (laughs) <laughs> I think um, the the episode, and I can never remember the name. It's not uh, Devil in the Dark. Uh, from yeah,
1: with the thing think... that goes through the
2: No, the, the one where Garrick and, and Sisko m- manipulate the situation in order to pull the Romulans in on their side during the Dominion Wars. That was a very detailed and like personal episode where he erases the log entry at the end, right? Yep. That yeah. one, uh, very, very morally gray area.
1: Mm-hmm. i love uh, the s9
2: uh i have a particular love of star trek 2 the original wrath of khan and empire strikes back uh david tennant forever he's my doctor <laughs> um, same same <laughs> um uh jody whitaker is definitely coming along though um gosh you know these uh, there's um so many different sci-fi moments that that really really stood out to me but i think those are the ones that like have like a permanent place in my hall of fame
1: i was wondering if bsg um the reboot was of particular interest to you as a former navy veteran
2: oh yeah okay uh bsg was a favorite of mine for a long time uh it was definitely meant to capture the spirit of of uh carrier aviation the way they launched and recovered Mm -hmm. um the vipers um definitely had a, a fangirl crush on uh katie sackhoff oh, everyone that. did <laughs> no, no 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 no. you could tell who's straight straight people like six and all the lesbians love, love starbucks <laughs> yeah. race okay well what, if you love bo- well what if you love them both <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> it means you're pan maybe i don't know <laughs>
0: okay <laughs> That's my so, uh, binge uh, right I, now.
2: I I loved uh, Battlestar Galactica. I think my favorite episode in that one was 33 and a half.
1: Oh, yeah. It's like the second episode or something, right? That is the second yes. episode. Yeah. And, and it just, just it portrayed what I would think life would be like in wartime um, to the point where I felt exhausted just watching it. Um, what are you thinking about any of the new Star Trek shows? Are any of those of interest to you?
2: I love Lower Decks. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! It doesn't matter. The the, the newer stuff just feels too JJ Abrams, and JJ Abrams managed to ruin both of my favorite. uh, He managed to ruin both Star Trek and Star Wars. Thank God for you, Dave Filoni.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the Mandalorian is fantastic. We love the Mandalorian. Except Uh, we love the Mandalorian. Uh, Um, uh, Oh, let's just close on Gina Carano because we haven't actually touched upon this, and I've been saving this.
0: Oh, God. My feeling has
1: been that. As a former Disney employee, I know I had to sign a document that said, if I embarrassed the company in any way, I could be fired. Gina signed that, sign that same document. Hello. So all the people all thinking she's been canceled. No, it's consequences, not cancellation. What are your thoughts, Bryn?
2: Um, it's ironic that Republicans are such big fans of uh, at-will employment and union busting, but then when somebody suffers the consequences of at-will employment, uh, they, uh, they, they suddenly dislike it a lot. Um, look, when you there is a continuing streak of transphobia within MMA, especially with what we saw with Fallon Fox. Um, but we saw the first hints of this with her and uh, making fun of pronouns on Twitter, um, and as we've seen repeatedly, scratch a transphobe, you find out that there's a lot of other groups of people that they don't like. And I think that that's scene with Gina.
0: I mean, to me, it's like, I don't understand why this became such a thing, where all of a sudden, where, I mean, I guess it was a thing on parlor. soon it's still around, of course, but for, I mean, but, I always figure I I was like perplexed like okay if you you sign a contract saying there're certain things you're not going to do and then you do them it's no surprise. I'm I'm just wondering quickly what will the what do you think the Gina Carano Ben Shapiro film project's going to look like? What what will come out of that? Cuz you know earlier this year Ben kind of embarrassed himself and became the the butt of a lot of YouTube remixes. Only
1: earlier probably- he does it like every he's alive i
0: hate that guy yeah but but his attempt at some his attempt at cardi and his his try at cardi and megan was just like ben should have been canceled right then and there we should never hear him of him again but we're going to ben shapiro gina carano bren what do you think that film project's gonna look like
2: it's gonna look low rent as hell <laughs> Um, we're, look, if you've read Ben Shapiro's novel, it's basically this close to be closeted gay, uh, um, worse fanfic. Um, and it's also kind of, um, the Turner Diaries for, um, uh, conservatives. If you, if you've read his novel, it's really, really warped. It's really, really hates black people and Muslims and it's an unreadable mess um the characters are terrible so imagine if you kind of like imagine god's not dead with guns and you kind of get an idea of where this is going okay <laughs> production values of of anything with kevin sorbo in it is <laughs> <laughs> that. um <Not> hercules <laughs> So look, whatever they produce is going to make a lot of money. The same way God's not dead did, but it's going to make a lot of money because the budget's going to be awful. They're not going to get any other major star star talent. The scripting is going to be heinous. Um, and it's going to be unwatchable to 80% of the population, but the other 20% is going to love it and go see it just because it's the kind of weird revenge fantasies that they want, like ben shapiro's novel
0: so in other words straight to amazon
1: <laughs> if he's lucky I, I, I think it's probably gonna end up on some parlor site or something
2: yeah it's 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 gonna make money but that's not hard when you're operating budget's a million dollars
1: <laughs> speaking of amazon go there now buy everything you ever wanted to know about trans but were afraid to ask and pre-order American Fascism, How the GOP is Subverting Democracy, both by Bryn Tannehill, our guest and our friend. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Bryn. You're welcome, thank you for having me
2: on.
0: Well, thanks for being here, because I know I know, you're busy and you gave hey, given us a little bit of time. I appreciate it, and also thank you for what you do and thank you for your voice, because in many ways, Read, reading everything you wanted to know about trans gave me a lot of insight into my own process moving forward. And isn't
1: that it a nice book hearing her to voice? Move she has forward. A beautiful voice. I love her voice.
2: Well, thank you both. Uh, I appreciate the kind words for the book and for the fact that you can actually listen to my voice and not want to throw things at me. <laughs> no, we'll save that for Dawn.
1: That's my that's my, that's my job. Don't take my job. <laughs> Set coordinates, Carly, beamer back to DC. Hope to see you sometime in the near future,
0: Bryn. Yes, Brian, we want you back on this show. You're you're always welcome. You always have a forum here. Energize.
1: Carly, I look forward to our future adventures together. Live long and prosper.
0: Steady as she goes, everyone. We'll see you next week. We
1: will? How about we'll just listen instead? <laughs> <laughs>